You know, we're, we're lucky to be here this morning. And I mean that we're lucky to be alive because of the parents that, we ra- that raised us and how much they didn't care for us. You know, I, recently I, I read a, a little article about how lucky we are to be alive if we grew up in the 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. Anybody past 30s here? You don't have to... Oh, one, all right. <laughs> 20s. Uh, it went like this. It said, uh, uh, we're lucky to be alive because we had no childproof lids on medicine bottles, on no childproof locks on our doors or cabinets, and when we rode our bikes, we wore no helmets. Uh, we rode in cars that had no seat belts or airbags, and riding in the back of a pickup was something that was a special treat on a nice summer day. You guys are lucky if you got to do it in the summer. My dad made me do it in the winter. <laughs> we, we drank water from the garden hose and not a bottle. We ate cupcakes, white bread, and real butter, and we drank soda pop with real sugar. Uh, but we weren't overweight because we were outside playing all day. We would spend hours building a go-kart ourselves out of scrap material, and then we'd ride it down the hill only to discover that we had forgotten to put brakes on it. And after running into the bushes a few times, we'd figure it out and we'd uh, fix that problem. We didn't have PlayStations, Nintendos, or Xboxes, uh, no video games at all. Well, if you were in the 80s, you might have had an Atari like me. But we didn't have 200 channels on the TV, no red box to rent our movies from, no surround sound, no cell phones, no personal computers or internet uh, or Facebook. Uh, Instead of Facebook friends, we had real life friends and we went outside and played with them uh, and made new ones. Uh, We fell out of trees, we got cut, we broke bones, we busted our teeth, and there was no lawsuits from all of these accidents. We were given BB guns for our 10th birthdays. I was six. We made up games with sticks and and tennis balls and we played cowboys and Indians or army man and we pointed guns at each other and it wasn't considered a bad thing. You know, we we is uh, even though we were warned against it, we didn't put out too many eyes either. Our little league had tryouts and not everyone made the team and you needed to learn how to face disappointment and deal with it. And the idea of a parent bailing us out of prison or jail if we broke the law was unheard of because they would actually side with the police officer. I'm sure that didn't happen to anybody in here. And yet this generation grew up and produced great people, risk takers, problem solvers, and some of the most amazing inventors of history. We're lucky to be alive, and, and things have changed since many of our days. And even though uh, I'm, I'm still in my 30s, that still reflects my childhood, and I'm sure you can identify with those things. Uh, uh, today, our culture would say our parents didn't love us, right? But I would argue the, uh, the opposite. They, they loved us very much and allowed us to experience life. Uh, but things, things are different. Things have changed. Uh, today is a different day and age, and, and you've noticed, I'm sure, differences, changes to our way of life and our pace of life. There was a time when we'd go to a grocery store to buy our groceries and we would know the checkout clerk personally. We would know their name and they would know ours and we would, we would see them every week. 
We'd go to a bank and we'd stand in line and wait for our teller and you would know the names of their kids. Maybe they went to church with you. Maybe they were your mom's friend and they would rat you out if you did anything, <laughs> spent your money. I'm, yeah, that actually happened. <laughs> you went out to eat and you sat down at the, the table and you knew your waiter or your waitress and maybe the owner of the restaurant would come out and visit with you as you begin to eat your meal. Maybe you had your own booth and they knew your order. Or maybe that's Don at Sherry's today. Maybe things haven't changed that much, have they, Don? You know, now we go through express lines and self-checkout lanes. And we go drive to the ATM and through the drive through window at the bank. And the, we eat fast food and we want it as fast and as convenient as possible. And we eat it as we drive away. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that we would go over to someone's house after church and eat dinner and spend the afternoon there until evening service came about. You know, we'd drop by during the week and they'd drop by our house and that was okay. Kids would play with their neighbors and they would stay out until the streetlights kicked on and in the summer, even after that, from time to time. Now kids stay inside and they play video games and they make friends online. Or they invite their friends over and they sit on the couch and watch a movie texting each other as they're sitting side by side. Times have changed. And not all the changes that we see around us are bad. Technology isn't necessarily an evil thing. It it can be a great assistance to our daily life. It makes things convenient. It's provided a lot of uh, help for our lives. But at what expense has it come? You know, I've read several studies lately about the importance of face-to-face personal connections in our lives, personal relationships, and how that aids a well-rounded and healthy life. Uh, Recently, an article made its way around Facebook uh, that talked about the correlation between drug addiction and relationships. And this is what it said. It it says uh, there was a research professor. His name was Pete Cohen. It says, Pete Cohen argues that human beings have a deep need to bond and form connections. It's how we get our satisfaction from life. If we can't connect with each other, we will connect with anything we can find. The whir of a roulette wheel or the prick of a syringe. He says we should stop talking about addiction altogether and instead call it bonding. A heroin addict has bonded with heroin because he couldn't bond as fully with anything or anyone else. Now, I don't know all the science behind that. But I think that there's some, there's some rationale there. That people turn to different addictions because of a broken or loss of person, personal relationship. It could be within their family. It could be within their friends. It could be that they're lonely. And they're just needing something to fill the void of relationships. There was another study that I read, and this one was a little more scientific. But it said this. It says, social isolation... Uh, So being alone, social isolation, removing yourself from, from relationships has an impact on our health that's comparable to high blood pressure, obesity, lack of exercise, or smoking. So all of those negative things, lifestyle traits that we can have in regard to our health, social isolation plays that same role as these other negative things. Uh, Lonely adults consume more alcohol and get less exercise than those who are not lonely. Their diet's higher in fat, their sleep is less efficient, and they report, they report more daytime fatigue. Loneliness disrupts the regulation of cellular processes deep within the body that leads to premature aging and disease. 
Okay? That's from loneliness. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's another one that they, thing that they found. People are more and more replacing face-to-face social interactions with replacement relationships. Okay, so once we had this face-to-face interaction where my friends were my physical friends that I spent time communicating with and spending time with, now they're, they're, they're having face-to-face, I'm sorry, replacement relationships. For example, texting, uh, Facebook, online video games, Skype, etc. Uh, these are the type of things that they replace our face-to-face personal contact. It says, if you uh, use artificial means of connecting as a substitute for physical means of connection, you actually get lonelier. Okay, so people have withdrawn from the face-to-face relationships. They've replaced it with this non-personal contact through technology. And it says that even if we busy ourselves with these uh, non-face-to-face relationships, these impersonal connections, that we get lonelier and lonelier as we remove ourselves. But here was an interesting thing in this same study. This was a secular study. It wasn't a Christian scientist who was behind this, a Christian researcher. It was just a non-Christian study. But it said, people who go to church regularly live longer than non-churchgoers. Okay, this was a study. Now, not all studies are proof and fact, but they found a link between people who go to church, who have a personal relationship at a church, and those who don't. And that was the the length of their lives. It says, this is a quote from this study. Churches can be very beneficial. One can feel connected to the group, the church, and to God. Those are actually different things, but each seem to have beneficial effects. God is like a supercharged friend. (coughs) Excuse me. I like that idea, that God is a supercharged friend. Uh, Relationships are important. It's a scientific fact. Okay, Uh, It's proven. They've done research study in laboratory mice. And they see that when, when there's multiple mice in a study, they react differently than if they're all alone. And I, I, could, I have some of the links to the scientific studies I'd be happy to share with you if you're interested in reading some more of this. But relationships are important. And God himself is a relational person. God himself is relational. In fact, he has revealed to himself to us as... Uh, a relational group, an entity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're in relationship with one another. They, they're one being, but there's a relationship amongst them, three persons of the Trinity. They exist together as one. In Genesis, it tells us that God says, let us make man in our image. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit agreeing that man, when we create him, let's make him similar to us. And one of the ways that we're similar to God is in that relational need, that then relational ability that he's given us, a desire for relationships. Not only do we have the ability or desire for relationships, but we were created for, with a need for relationships. We were created dependent on relationships. And if you think about it, as a child, when we're born, we are fully uh, dependent on our parents or whoever is caring for us to provide for us, whether that be food whether that be uh, clothing, warmth, shelter, comfort, all of our basic needs, uh, relationships, skills, and knowledge as we grow and we learn until the point where we become self-sufficient in those things. But then what do we find? That as soon as we become self-sufficient, someone else comes along. Uh, We have this crazy desire for a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. In Genesis chapter 2.24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, 
and they become one flesh. God created us with a desire within us to be connected. First, through our relationship with our parents, and then our relationship with our spouse, but ultimately created to have a relationship with God. We've been going through the book of Acts. We started last week looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, uh, which records the practices of the early church, that first church that started after Jesus had ascended. And now the apostles were kind of in charge of things. And as they, they preached and they taught and they won souls for the Lord, they created this thing called the church. In Acts chapter 2.42, it says that the church is about relationships. And we can see that from this passage. And we can learn a little bit more about the importance that relationships play. So let's read that together this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Now, as we go through this series, it's actually an eight-week series looking at the important things uh, that the, the, the early church devoted themselves to. Last week, we talked about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, this week, we're going to look at how they devoted themselves to fellowship. And as we look at this passage, I can see that there were six different little phrases in there that, that hint at this importance. And even though it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to communion... We're going to look at that fellowship part, but if you look through that rest of that passage, it says things like, all the believers were together. That's that's relationships, right? That's togetherness, relationships. They had everything in common. How do you know if you have something in common with someone if you don't spend time with them? If you're not in a relationship with them. In verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together. Together, signifying relationships. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Okay, togetherness. You see something repeated in this passage over and over and over. The fact that the early church was committed to relationships. And in this passage, in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So we need to understand what fellowship really is. Well, fellowship in Greek is, uh, uh, the word there in the original language is koinonia. You might have recognized that word, koinonia. We have a camp over in Sweet Home that we send our kids to. I direct one of the camps out there um, called Camp Koinonia. And that word is most often in the New Testament translated fellowship. But it'll, there's a few other words that it's translated as too. For example, sometimes it's used to refu- refer to communion. And not necessarily just this, this communion here that we just participated in, but the communing of the body. Right, have being in communion with one another, or a word that we use more frequently than communion, community, being part of a, a community. Fellowship is being part of a community. Okay, so we have fellowship here amongst this body as we commune together, but we also have fellowship with this town, with this region as part of our community. Uh, another one, uh, participating together. Okay, participating together. So sometimes fellowship is having the same goal and participating in reaching that goal together. It's togetherness. Uh, Sharing with others. As we practice generosity, 
we are actually practicing koinonia. We're sharing together. We're in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we just saw that, that uh, they sold property and possessions and shared those things together. Okay, that was being in fellowship with one another, having koinonia together. Uh, or the last one, a gift jointly contributed. An example of that would be when some of the churches uh, gathered money together to support Paul. They were being fellowship and koinonia together with him. So that's the idea of togetherness. Relationships is what fellowship is all about. And the early church devoted themselves to this concept. <clears throat> so let's look at it a little bit more. Uh, fellowship. I've got three things for you that will help you understand, hopefully, a little bit about what biblical fellowship is all about and what the early church practiced. The first thing is that fellowship begins with Jesus, right? Fellowship begins, begins with Jesus. And we could say the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that from the very beginning. From the beginning of Genesis, we see that there's communion, there's koinonia amongst God himself and in our relationship with him. In 1 John 1, 1 through 7, this is what it says. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and we testify to it, and we, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And the best thing about eternal life is that eternal life is eternal koinonia, eternal communion with Jesus. Okay, continue in verse 3. We, pro- we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with God uh, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So fellowship isn't just something that we do as Christians. It isn't just something that we should be doing because it's a good idea. It says here that as we have a relationship with Jesus first and foremost, what takes place inside of us? It says the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. So part of our relationship and our, the purity of our relationship with God comes down to our fellowship with each other. But it begins and it's founded on Jesus himself. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we don't have that relationship fixed first, then this relationship isn't going to be healthy. Okay? This relationship is going to be broken. It's hard enough to get along with people as it is, right? Okay? And it's even harder without the love of Jesus in our hearts. Okay? So fellowship begins first and foremost with Jesus. Here's the second one. Fellowship impacts others. Okay? Fellowship impacts others. If our fellowship isn't having a positive impact on other people around us, then it probably isn't really biblical fellowship. It isn't really community like the Bible encourages us to do. It definitely isn't the impact that Acts chapter 2 had on the world. Okay, we see what happens as the early church was committed to fellowship, as they were committed to community, what took place? 
It says the Lord added to their number daily they were those who were saved. Okay, their togetherness made an impact on the world around them. And people took notice. The people around them took notice. I mentioned this a few weeks back when we were talking about evangelism and how do we do that most effectively. It isn't because we stand up and we speak loud. It isn't because we can shout somebody down or we can quote the most verses from this. It's from our relationships. And as our relationships develop and as we care about people, that spreads, that word spreads, and people start to see a difference in the lives of that group of people and they want to know what's going on. And as this church grew and as they were generous and as they cared for the needs of each other, the people on the outside looking in went, something's different. I want to know what that is. I want to experience that type of life. In Philemon, I don't usually use the book Philemon very often, but I found a verse in there that I thought was really appropriate. It's Philemon verses 4 through 6. It says, I always thank my God as I remember remember you in my prayers because I heard about your love for all his holy people. Hey, Paul had heard of the love, right? Because I heard of your love. Uh, for all his holy people in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that your partnership with us. Okay, that word partnership right there, koinonia. That your relationship, okay, that your fellowship with us. Uh, It says, I pray that your koinonia, your partnership with us in the faith, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that impact was far uh, reaching. Uh, this um, this passage isn't dealing with someone who was right there with Paul who can see it taking place. He doesn't see this fellowship taking place, but he hears of it. The word spreads around, and he says, I pray that this will continue. It's for the benefit of others, but it's also for our benefit as well. It says so that your relationship will become deeper as well. So fellowship has an impact on others, but it definitely has an impact on ourselves as well. Paul had heard word of this commitment. What are people hearing about Southside? Are they hearing of our fellowship? Are they hearing of our community, of our caring for each other, of our real deep relationships? What are we known for? And I think that's a fair question. I can't, I can't answer that question. Okay, maybe I should be able to. Okay, but hopefully we're hearing good things. When we do, hopefully we're not just the church with the sign. Right? But that people want to come here because they hear how we care and we fellowship together. You know, sometimes it can seem kind of daunting to think that we have this huge responsibility placed on our shoulders of being the reputation for Jesus. Right? I, I kind of, uh, that's tough sometimes being a pastor and now being the teaching pastor. It's a tough responsibility sometimes. It's a heavy burden at times to know that I live in a fishbowl. Right? And I have to be careful how fast I drive because we have several police officers working on this department here. Ask Jamie about that. He'll tell you a nice little story. You know, and, and sometimes this, this, uh, this can be tough, this responsibility. And, and we think that, man, we have to do these great things for Jesus. We have to, do, we have to be in great fellowship and the pressure's on me. Uh, Mother Teresa had a quote, and I, I love this uh, idea that had to do with how our communion has relationship on other people, or koinonia has relationship or effect on other people. She says, I alone cannot change the world. Hey, by myself, I can't do a whole lot. That's the fact of the matter. I alone cannot change the world. 
but I can cast a stone across the waters and create many ripples. Right? Now, if we think about it, one person, you know, tossing a rock into a, a pool does create a lot of ripples, right? So I, I can't have it. My impact isn't going to change the world. Okay? But as I have impact on other people, and those people have impact on other people, and those in people have more impact, and it's done through what? Through koinonia. Okay, through connecting, through relationships. As I have a relational impact on someone else, they have a relationship with someone else. And that ripple continues until we are ultimately being the church through our relationships with each other. <clears throat> so how do we live this out? Okay, again, we, we know uh, that we need to do this thing. The, the example has been set for us. We've been encouraged to do it, but how do we live it out? Well, this could be weeks and weeks and weeks of sermons all by itself. But we've mentioned a lot of uh, the ways that we can do this over the last several weeks and several months, and that is that we need to be devoted to one another. Okay? Being devoted to fellowship means we're devoted to one another. That is what fellowship is, being committed to each other. Okay, and how do we do that? In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Those one another's of Scripture, I've brought them up uh, many times. And, and if you've ever sat in on one of Jamie Lambert's adult classes, he probably talks about the one another's at the end of every class because they're so important. Because practicing the one another's of Scripture is how we live out this idea of community. In Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25, there's uh, quite a few ideas that we can just live out uh, in a very practical ways. In Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Okay, so basically he's saying, because of our koinonia with God, because he has accepted us into his family, into his community, because of what he's done for us, this is what he says, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God. Let's increase the relationship that you and I have with Jesus himself. Okay, the way that we can have the greatest impact on people around us is by having a greater relationship with God. Okay, that's the first thing. We can't be healthy for other people if we're not healthy ourselves. Right? If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to have much more minimal impact on anybody else around us. Let us draw near to God. Let us have koinonia with God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled uh, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Okay, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Okay, kind of that same concept. We can tell others about Jesus all we want. Okay, we can say the right words, but if we aren't firm in our grasp of our own personal hope in Jesus Christ, then the rest of those relationships aren't going to mean much. And the words that we say are going to be hollow. It says, For he who is promised, or he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That means we need to be encouraging each other. Okay, we have to be encouraging to each other. I, I don't know about you, but if I don't get encouragement, my mood 
just drops. Okay? If I don't, if I don't know that that you know, if I for my wife, my relationship with my wife, we've learned very quickly that I'm a words of encouragement guy, right? And if if I don't hear some nice things every now and then, then my attitude drops. Okay, and that shouldn't happen. I know that's how that's part of, that's the way I am. That's part of my personality. My wife is a little different. She's an acts of service person, right? So I have to meet her needs by doing things for her. She meets my needs by saying things to me, nice things, preferably, right? (laughs) But this verse in 24, let's consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's saying we need to encourage one another. We need to speak the love language of the people around us. We need to serve each other. Okay, we're in this together. We need to encourage each other. Verse 25, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, it says, don't give up meeting together. Why is what we do here on Sunday so important? Why is it vital to the life of a believer? Because it builds fellowship. It builds community. It builds connecting relationships. And we were created to have these relationships We were created to be here together, worshiping God together. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus first, but it's about a relationship with each other as well. And so we should not give up meeting together. We can't forsake the assembly of the saints, some of those translations say. So why do we follow up with people who we don't see around? Not because we are trying to track you down to get your tithes and offerings, right? But because it's for your benefit. It's for our benefit that we're here today, worshiping together collectively. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because we can look back on our lives already and see, that the, see the changes that have taken place in our society, in our culture over the last 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And it downright scary from time to time. Right? And we don't know exactly how much longer Jesus is going to postpone coming to take us home. And that's why it says that as the day approaches, things are going to get worse and worse. Things aren't necessarily going to get better in this world. There's going to be less war, less famine, less disaster. And because of that, we're going to need encouragement more than ever. I'm going to end with this quote. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. God created us to be in a relationship with him, the sustainer of life, the creator of all things. And he wants us to be together in that relationship. So let's pray. God, we are thankful for the love that you hold for us. And we thank you for the relationship that you've developed with us and, and the love and the care that you've provided us and the safety and the, and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy. And it's those things, Father, that have been able to restore a broken relationship. You've cleared the way of a mess of our life and you've, you've entered in, you've taken that step into our life when we were incapable Father, we're so grateful. And Father, you've told us that as we have a relationship with you, you want us to have fellowship with each other. And I pray, Father, that here at Southside, 
If we're known for nothing else, may we be known for the love and the care that we have for each other. Because it says in your word, Father, that they will know that we are yours by how much we love each other. So, Father, may we be reflective of a commitment to fellowship with you and each other and being immersed in your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I have a couple take-it-homes for us this morning. Uh, the first one is this. Memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Do we have it up there? Awesome. Let's say it together. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. It's not about this building, right? That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what a relationship with Jesus is about. These are nice. It's nice to have the blessings of having a warm or cold, depending if you sit over there by the window, uh, environment to worship in each week, right? It's about what's out here, right? It's about what's in here, okay? We are God's building. This is where God lives in his people. Second one, I want you to work on developing a deeper relationship with God this week through times of prayer and Bible study, okay? This one should be a take it home every week. Let's be committed, first and foremost, to having a relationship, being in community, in communion, in fellowship with Jesus Himself. And the only way for us to develop relationships is receiving and giving, right? Talking to God and receiving His Word back into our hearts. Be committed to that. That should be first and foremost in all of our lives. The last one there is like it. Number three, I want you to work on developing a deeper relationship with, one, with another Christ follower through meeting together, encouragement, or Bible study. Okay, take the time to develop community. And you can do that in a lot of ways. Home groups, Bible studies, personal uh, relationships, personal discipleship, or just being a friend and spending time with someone. Let's do that this week.